Hey guys, it's Steven from Shinpei Dial here. Uh, with me is my co-host Simon. We're here to bring you the latest news on uh, and kind of discussion on both the gaming and the esports industry. If you haven't heard of us or our previous podcasts, uh, between the two of us, we have about 10 years of gaming and esports industry experience. I have uh, played under Fnatic as a professional gamer for StarCraft 2 for about two years. And then afterwards, I worked for Curse, which is known for Curse Voice, later bought out by Twitch and Amazon. And uh, now I work at Streamplay.io. Hey guys, um, <clears throat> uh, Steven's colleague. I've been in the gaming industry for over, I would say, five years. Back at university, I did some professional gaming in World of Warcraft Arena, managed to get into the top four in 3 versus 3 in Europe. After uni, I went into gaming, started doing marketing for a few years for a few mobile games that were pretty successful, such as Clash of Kings, and uh, now I work on the product side, and uh, yeah. I've been doing that for three years. Cool, cool. Yeah, so today's topics uh, and discussions actually quite interesting, I feel like. Uh, well, we're going to kind of look over uh, the online games and the way they monetize from the beginning till now and how that kind of correlates with uh, all the esports titles nowadays. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how competitive levels in universities versus professionals and how that's affecting the current esports. So why don't you kick us off, Simon? Yeah, so, um, yeah, let's start off by talking about a few online games and their different monetization models. So if you look at general esports games, you have, let's say, the free-to-play model, which is League of Legends, Dota, and then you have the free-to-play model, but you also need to buy some additional content after you start playing to kind of get anywhere, which is, I would say, Hearthstone or perhaps Clash Royale, which is, isn't exactly an esports game, but they tried. And then you have the kind of paid game that you buy in one go and then maybe have a few expansions afterwards. And the game would be, say, StarCraft... Starcraft 2 mm-hmm. and um, so that's three different types of models I guess you can say free to play or can be grouped together but I think in terms of the games themselves they're all pretty different in terms of monetization model and how effective they go and how effective they are in esports yeah yeah definitely definitely agree there and that's like the modern way of most esports and a lot of online games are but I want to take a little bit of step back and kind of talk about the Back in the days when online games first started, I feel like World of Warcraft is probably the most symbolic mm-hmm. online sort of com- competitive sort of game that's out there in the two- early 2000s where you have to pay a monthly subscription fee. And I feel like that game honestly was probably the only game that did really well with a sort of online subscription monthly kind of payment sort of thing. And uh, got away with it for the next 15 years. And it's still one of the biggest games in Blizzard at the time. Um, I just kind of want to talk about from the beginning. You know, this this is kind of the model that they started off with. And then there's a lot of free-to-play. There's a lot of, uh, like you said, like StarCraft, the way it works is you just purchase the game for a flat 50, 60 bucks. And then you can play online for free afterwards. With the exception that, you know, when there's sort of expansions coming out, you had to buy those as well, which... Cost another 50 or 60 one time purchase. And uh, leading that up to basically modern day, it's around, you know, 
2011, 2010, where League of Legends came out with a free-to-play model versus how the StarCraft was working, which those two were the uh, top two competitive esports uh, e games at the time. And uh, essentially what ended up happening is StarCraft just gradually died just because of the the way the free-to-play model works for League of Legends versus the, uh, the the way StarCraft was working. And I think as a professional gamer in the past with StarCraft 2, this is the one thing that I saw for sure that our player base dropped really drastically. We didn't have a lot of players. We didn't have a lot of uh, com competition. We didn't have all the player base that League of Legends had purely from a payment perspective of a free-to-play versus what is now a sort of outdated model which is a pay a single time pay and then and then play afterwards for esport game yeah um i understand pretty much agree with everything you've said i mean you're talking about starcraft 2 right now and uh yeah they're a, a pay one time and then you get to play endlessly um for a game like that it's not like they're gonna make another DLC where you can buy little amounts of stuff for not so much money and get more content. No, they won't do that. They're going to, if they ever produce extra content, it's going to be in the form of an expansion, which will be at least $40, $50 upwards, or they're going to produce another entirely new game, which would be StarCraft Three. But what that means is, compared to a free-to-play model, um, there's no constant stream of revenue. Um, you don't have, say, sort skins. You don't have any cosmetic purchases after the the game that you've bought. So there's no more money coming in for the game itself to bring towards esports to grow that side of the game. And what happens is there's not enough money for the prize pool. There's not enough money for hosting tournaments and what have you. So it kind of shrivels out after a while. And if the company does keep on putting money into kind of the StarCraft esports scene, it's more of a bleed rather than breaking even at the end of the day because they're not able to generate enough esport money from game purchases. Um, on the other side, it's also a fairly... Um, I mean, say if you have StarCraft 2, it's also a fairly high entry fee to get into the game whereas free to play is oh you get to play it straight away see if you like it or not and then just play from there you don't have to pay any money at all of course if you want to buy cosmetics skins and what have you like in league of legends and dota okay fine great but uh, starcraft you just have to pay smash out a hundred dollars or whatever and then you're able to play okay now if you look at league of legends which is free to play you're gonna have constant revenue and money coming in which ends up going to esports events prize pools players teams and what have you because the players they're able to uh, buy skins they're able to buy anything from the game cosmetic wise such as ward skins general uh, hero skin they can also buy heroes along the way and this is all money for the esports scene and it's constant it doesn't stop it's not a one-time thing and on the other hand it's also a very low entry barrier because the players don't have to play anything pay anything and they're able to fully play the game to the full extent to the highest level without having to pay a single penny so it's a zero entry barrier and uh, it brings in more people 
and uh, if people like what they're seeing, they'll probably buy a skin or two, or even more. Some people probably buy hundreds of skins. So that's an endless supply of money and players that is coming in, and that can all go to the esports scene of uh, League of Legends and Dota like games. And then the other third one that we talked about is kind of uh, Hearthstone and card battler games. And those types of games are also free to play. You can play for free. But uh, to get to the highest level or kind of get all the cards which help you get to the highest level, you do have to spend a bit of money. Of course, you can take your time and make all that money for free, which is very doable. But for the general average player, it would probably take, I would say, Hearthstone now would take you probably half a year to a year for the average player if you play every day to get all the cards. And uh, that is a lot of time that most of the people don't have. And therefore, you probably don't have as many people coming into the professional scene because of that slight barrier. And... uh, At the same time, that would also mean less money for the uh, esports funds for the game. So there you go. That's three types of monetization models and how they connect to the esports scene. So they're all pretty different. They all have their ways of working. But I would say the free-to-play model is completely free-to-play model is the one to go with. And it seems to be doing the best job. So definitely agree with all the points you said so far. I just want to take a step back and talk a little bit more about StarCraft because uh, that's the CM a lot more familiar with. So the the publisher Blizzard actually they their original intention when they sold the game it was more of a campaign than than anything else. There's like I think about 70 to 80 90 percent of their players plays campaign. Maybe only about 10 percent plays online game. But you know StarCraft One Brood War was such a big title and hit because you basically can play on the pirate servers for fish servers for free uh, in the local PC banks and uh, that's kind of what got Starcraft Brood War so so hyped up so so good and so 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 high you know you talk about the entry barrier there's the entry barrier so it actually bears a lot of people out shuts a lot of people out of the esports community and hence why League of Legends actually overtook Blizzard within like a year in terms of uh, popularity and uh, and it's and it's it's perfectly fine. I mean, Blizzard definitely tried to come back with Hearthstone, with Heroes of the Storm, and Overwatch as well. Um, but they're definitely taking the slower route, still thinking about more of the traditional way of generating money, focusing on making money first and stop focusing on generating players and worry about money later. And the way League of Legends and Dota 2 is working, which is, I think, is probably one of the best models right now. Like you said, you get access to all the content you don't have to pay a single cent to play but then when there is pick and shove like if you're if you're a hardcore player if you're a player that really likes the game or you're just a normal player you see something really cool that's a good deal you probably will buy it and then it and i feel like it's sort of a the, the monetization way is sort of similar to how world of warcraft works in the sense where you're 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 subconsciously not thinking too much about Paying, you know, like if let's talk about just World of Warcraft, each month is about ten, twelve dollars. You actually rack up to about you know one hundred fifty dollars a year, and that's something that you actually don't think very much about when you play the game. And that that cost itself is what it's per year. So let's say if you play ten years, you're giving Blizzard about fifteen hundred USD there, and that's a lot of money for a single game of of that amount of time. So. 
the the way the League of Legends and uh, Dota 2 is working is similar to that where they give you seasonal things that you can buy. There's always, you know, sales, there's always skins, there's always packages you can buy that that motivates you to play so or to buy. So maybe two years into playing the game you might be spending $150 compared to StarCraft 2, which you only spend about fifty dollars total. So, in a way that these kind of games, these kind of the the way these games are becoming esports is through that sort of monetization. They're very smart about it. They're very diligent. And what end up happening is these games, um, when you spend money, let's say they have this uh, compendium sort of thing where everybody can buy per year for the end of the year tournaments. Uh, each player, when you purchase, uh, let's say a compendium, which is about twenty to thirty dollars typically. And um, these half of your purchase actually directly goes into the prize pool. And for esports right now, as we talked about in the past in our past broadcast, is that uh, the more prize pools right now, the more hype is generated around the, the the tournament itself. The more people are going to watch. So it's a it's a endless cycle of generating more players, more viewers, and so forth. And as for you know, I'd say Hearthstone. We talked a little bit about that along with Clash Royale. Is I mean, like the nature of card games. You can't really play around not selling cards. You know, if you're a card game, you can't sell. You can't not sell cards. And um, and that's that's the way Blizzard's doing it. There's definitely a uh, barrier to entry, like you said. But you know, again, it's a it's a card game. I wouldn't say it's a very serious esport compared to some something more like chess, which is similar to, in in a sense of interactions. It's completely different. You know, the way they monetize is different. But uh, again, I think I think League of Legends and Dota 2 definitely has it more figured out compared to. Uh, games like Hearthstone and StarCraft, and you can see there's the numbers of viewership for StarCraft is drastically dropping. I think back in the early t- 2009, 2010, 2011, around this area, uh, StarCraft was getting 100,000 concurrent viewers, but now it's switched over to League of Legends, Dota 2, and sometimes Hearthstone. You can see the big difference, just I feel like purely from economic and uh, price model wise, uh, these games are definitely doing a lot better than, uh, let's say, the traditional Blizzard games. Also, uh, something that you're talking about just now is uh, Overwatch and its monetization model. Let's talk a bit about the game itself. In most FPSs, okay, you can't really have that many different types of champions, whereas in League of Legends, okay, they're bringing out a champion at least every month. Whereas in Overwatch, you're probably going to get a new hero in a few months' time. And this is a massive difference in terms of how much money they can get from the players. Because with every hero, with every champion that League of Legends brings out, that's a couple more skins, and then a few more down the line after the champion has been out for a few weeks or a few a few months. There's going to be another skin added in. So that's faster money generation, and they're able to retain the players for longer because there's a lot of hype. Okay, there's a new champion. I'm going to go and try it. I want to buy it fast, I'm going to buy it before it's free, or I'm going to buy it before it's cheaper, and I'm also going to get a skin. So it retains the player for a longer time, or it brings back players that aren't playing as much, and also it brings in a lot of money. Whereas in games like Overwatch, which are also completely free to play, of course you can go and buy skins and what have you. Their rate of bringing out champions, just because they're their game design, it's an FPS, if you bring in too many champions, it's going to be 
very unbalanced, whereas in an MOBA it's fine. Um, it Overwatch has a, a, a lower capacity of generating money over the long run. However, their current system works fine because they have the loot crate system, which is a pretty much gambling. You're trying to get lucky on getting good loot, uh, legendary skins or epic skins, which are which is pretty much all they're selling. Um, but I think for Overwatch to kind of grow their esports revenue or esports money that they have, they will need to bring in a few more things or a few more ways to monetize their users. Um, that would help a lot for Overwatch to grow for sure. But at, at the moment, I think they're lacking a bit. Right. Yeah. So I definitely, I, I feel like we didn't really talk about Counter Strike, which is actually another yeah, very, very big uh, esport game right now. They, they basically. Basically, Counter-Strike and Overwatch have very similar uh, gambling styles of play, except Counter-Strike with Valve, you can, you can trade your skins here and there, and which is why the online actual gambling part of these, the, these kind of games are very popular. So, yeah, I feel like with that said, we talk a lot about each model and what works and what not, but I definitely think a game that has a very low entry barrier and with a good way of user retention with releasing new skins or gambling or you know things that get you excited it's it's basically what it does to players or to to the population is to get the guys or girls excited about a new thing that's coming out hype around it you can buy it, you can play around it it's, it's like an all inclusive package you know it's user retention rate and you know it it gets it gets more monetization out of it and get, get, get the users back who they might have lost in the past. So these are all really, really cool things uh, that these esports are doing. But again, I feel like if we rank the games based on the value of uh, the esports right now and why they're doing well, I definitely think still, I would say first would be League of Legends, second would be Dota, and then comes forth maybe uh, Overwatch and uh, Counter-Strike. And then maybe after that be Hearthstone. And finally but not least, probably uh, StarCraft 2. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's pretty much about right. Unless we're forgetting a few games. But I think in terms of games that are seen on TV and uh, have a lot of tournaments, those are the games that kind of rank in that list of how much money they make. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that definitely sums it up pretty well there. Uh, let's move on to the next topic, Simon. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the current competitive scene, professional scene in esports, and correlate a little bit with uh, last week's topic, which was a little bit about players in university levels, and uh, we'll touch a little bit more on players that are much, much younger in middle school and high school. So to get things started, we want to bring it back to the very beginning where esports was a very big culture in South Korea for uh, StarCraft Brood War where even 13 and 14 year olds were considered prodigies of playing the game. So basically you have players that are maybe in their early 20s, late teens playing against players that are 14, 15 year old. And again, I feel like in South Korea it was definitely a lot more accepted it was more easier to get into it there they have professional gamer licensing that you can uh, get every single every single two months or so 
and uh, you you basically become a professional gamer. The government I think subsidizes it. It's easy to get on a professional team that way as well. Uh, but I feel like nowadays it's very different, especially in the Western world, in the West side, where we typically don't recognize it as a sport. It's definitely a little more mainstream than it was before. But uh, again, there's a lot of people forced to one either dropping out from high school to play to pursue their dreams, or they typically just give up at the university level and never have had a chance to become a professional gamer. Um, from my personal experience, at least when I was a professional gamer in the university, around I think it was my second or third year to my fourth and fifth year as well. Essentially, what ended up happening is uh, a lot of my colleagues actually ended up taking a break, quote unquote break, which means a long indefinite time period of away from school. And um, what ended up happening is, you know, there's everyone wants to be the next, you know, faker. Or I guess in StarCraft term, you want to be the next Jada on Flash or Bisu, which are the top three Korean uh, StarCraft One players of all time. Um, you can't really realistically be that person just based on pure possibilities of how many people are actually doing exactly the same thing as you are, uh, dropping out of school, practicing ten hours a day, and people with talent and practice really hard typically does very well. Um, so what ended up happening is, is that a lot of the colleagues that I have are basically still taking time away from school, and after they essentially did mediocre, not doing too bad, but did mediocre as a professional gamer, they, they're now facing a lot of challenges when it comes to finding a new career, when it comes to staying in the gaming industry, when it comes to finding uh, ways to get back into educational system. Um, what do you think about that, Simon? Yeah, um, I completely agree. Like, if you're going to esports, it's it's a massive risk and it's a massive uh, gamble because, say, if you are successful, um, you've already dropped out of university. Maybe you've dropped out of university, or, or you're maybe even dropping out of high school. In some sometimes, um, your average game gaming career in esports is probably only going to be five to ten years so if you're 18 and you game until if you get 10 years um you're probably 28 by the time you finish and that's even a long shot so five to ten years and then what do you do afterwards you're risking a lot and um, you're risking your education you're risking your future or long-term kind of any other goals that you have and um, any other career possibilities. So these are all being jeopardized for the reward of being a professional esports player, which isn't that established around the world, except maybe in Korea, where it's uh, more accepted than in other countries. Um, so yeah, I think one thing that needs to happen is maybe the government needs to step in and support this more, make it a, an official thing to be an esports competitor, Maybe organizations such as the Olympics and bigger organizations that are part of general sports need to also step in and uh, help make this an official thing. And then money will come in. Once money comes in as well, um, companies will see investment opportunities. This will also give so give more. Uh, money to the community, more money to the whole esports scene, and this will give 
um, make it more of a, a real thing. It will validate esports as a real thing once there's more money within the community, and will also give it will lower the risk to a certain extent for the players because they know okay. If I become professional and I'm successful, okay, I'll be able to make a few hundred thousand or a few million over, say, one or two years' time. And if I win tournaments, I'll be able to make a few more million on top of that. So it needs to kind of move towards the level of a professional athlete and say, I would say football or uh, NBA. But that's going to be a long shot, I would say. Uh, game companies will have to come in, more investment other big companies, the government, they will have to come in and step in to help the esports community grow. Um, so yeah, back to the people. It's a massive risk and a massive gamble for them to, firstly, if they choose to drop out of high school, which is, I would say, a bit early, and if they take a break out of university, that's also, it's probably better than completely dropping out, but you wouldn't want to take an indefinite break away from university. You'd rather want to finish your education as it gives you more opportunities in life. Um, even if in the end you choose not to continue along with esports or if esports in general is not as successful as everyone hopes it to be. Um, so yeah, the risk reward is, is, is more of a personal thing. It's not, I can't say this person shouldn't definitely do this. I mean, if it's a dream and ambition of your life, um, such as people, I mean, in the music industry or the arts industry, there's people that know that they're probably not going to make money or they're going to be living very poorly for a few years, but it's their life's ambition, it's their passion, so they go and do it. And then maybe one gets lucky, or very few, in fact, get lucky and struck gold or make a lot of money. So it's kind of understandable that these esports players, competitors, they want to do what they want to do and follow their dreams. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. For sure. There's. Uh, I think even, especially even in South Korea, like a lot of parents. Did, did, you know, we we didn't really talk about the family sides. Your parents actually. There's a lot of family opposition, uh, for almost every single professional gamer that's out there. Until it's proven that you can do it a little bit part time, make a little bit of money. Maybe you can do it full time, make more money. Um, so again. Um, even the Western culture, you know, it's a lot of family opposition, and there's a reason as to why, you know, university level students graduate and make a stable money. You know, like in my uh, actually wrote a topic, an article this week, especially about this, is that uh, professional gamers, unless you're playing in like the very very top level of big games, you're not actually making good money. Um, from my perspective, back in like 2013, 2012, there was a lot of people that were making practically under minimum wage, which is very, very normal if you're just a mediocre professional player for StarCraft 2. And this comes into play, you know, like 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 Simon said, you, you get to pursue your dreams, you get to do the things you like to do, but you're also getting paid really, really, really badly, if nothing at all. You're living under poverty, and that's... Uh, personally, minimum wage is just, you know, even minimum wage for me is not enough at all. And I feel like for a lot of professional gamers, you're you're pursuing the dream, but you're also, you need to be a little more realistic at certain times. And I feel like that's, that's like the big difference is the risk and reward is so big, the discrepancy is so, so much, so high that most people should not pursue this kind of career. And... Since the discrepancy is so high, the risk is so high that it 
pushes people away who have a thought of becoming a professional gamer, push them away because of family pressure, because of their career, because of you know being a university and being an engineering student, you might come out making $70,000, $80,000 a year versus being a professional gamer, maybe making less than $10,000 a year. It's quite a big difference and uh, you know, it's it's just the the ways of the risk is. I personally typically think it's not worth it. But you know, again, at the you know, it kind of comes in with, with the money, like you said. You need there needs to be an injection of money into the industry. People need to recognize it more. And I personally think, you know, in my article, I've written exclusively a lot about the immature leaks, the leaks that are coming up before you become a professional gamer, you need to, I feel like these leaks deserve to be more recognized, let's say at a university level, collegiate, where, you know, it's 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 happening right now where co uh, different colleges, different universities are competing, even since 2009, but, you know, until 2017, still right now, it's not recognized by any university, or maybe a little bit, except like the University of uh, California, Berkeley, that it's a little bit of a sport. It's recognized like there's sponsorship, there's uh, scholarships, there's you know, uh, university level of uh, attending of you know basically motivating players to do these kind of things more or less. And it's not it's still not happening right now. And that's what I personally think is deterring the uh, players from jumping into esports and you know in NBA in NFL there's direct draft from the college basketball college football and you can put, I think you can there's not really much of an age limit except like age of 18 or something or after attending three years of uh, three seasons of university for NFL and so forth so there's there's still rules and limitations of which to prevent you from not finish your high school diploma you know there's prevention to uh, physical injuries, you might not be making the correct decisions at the time, you know, even if you're a legend, I feel like if you're really good, like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, you probably can play NBA right away. And that's what they did, right? And the one thing I want to mention, I forgot to mention, is that it's very different between, you know, leagues in NFL, NBA versus how eSport works. In eSport, you have to physically, as a player, you have to send in applications, so you have to send Sending, if you want to be in a big team, you have to be really good. You have to send in lots of applications to every every team in hope that they need a player like you. You know, in in NBA and NFL, they draft, right? They obviously some players won't get drafted into the professional team, but majority of the top good players still get drafted. But here is the other way around, where you beg for a team to accept you, and then you might get like a really terrible salary because. Uh, you didn't perform really well, they just don't have the money to pay you and so forth. So again, the money thing is a very big issue um, that I personally have advocated since I've become a pro gamer that there needs to be sort of regulated salary, regulated control so that you know professional gamers of a premier team or a top, top ranking needs to be paid at a certain amount. And um, it's getting better again. It's being esports getting recognized a little bit more at the time, but uh, I feel like there's still a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. Like the money is a huge factor in all sports industries. I mean, if you look at general sports, football, uh, rugby, just football and basketball, which are two of the more popular ones. I mean, if you're an amateur league or if you're in a, a, a tier two or non-top league, one down from the top league, you're probably getting paid 
uh, around 100k. I mean, even in the top league, sometimes you're at least getting paid a few hundred k a year. And if you're an, an amazing top top player, you're getting paid a few million. So, I mean, even if you're an esports player, if you can get paid a few hundred k and you take it back to your parents and say, okay, they're going to be more acceptive of this sort of thing. And um, if you're making a few hundred k even. Um, it's going to be more accepted as a proper thing and proper career opportunity. I mean, if you get paid a few million and you're a top top athlete, it's 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 even better, of course. But uh, that's not the case at the moment. So money will have to come into the industry, and more money will have to go to the players. Um, one other side of the story is if you look at the tournaments you're talking about, universities they have their own tournaments. Um, and th those are amateur leagues, you would say. And then you have the professional massive tournaments which are hosted by, which are for League of Legends, Dota, Counter-Strike. These are really well done, really well organized, very professional in comparison to the amateur leagues. Um, so what will need to happen here is even the amateur leagues, even in the university, at the university level, the, the competitions will need to be more professional, up to the level of professional football competitions for university. So esports at university needs to get to the same level of general sports at university. Once that happens, the amateur kind of or university scene will be respected in esports. And... Um, once it gets to the level of a massive esports tournament in terms of quality, um, more people will see that happen. People want to invest more. They see it as a real thing. It's very professional. Whereas only the only time you see a professional esports tournament being hosted is probably only for the for League of Legends, Dota, and the other titles I mentioned. So the tournament hosting and who's hosting this all need to become more professional, all need to be better organized. And there needs to be more money, not only for the players, but the organization and the industry as a whole. Right, so again, we talk a lot about how, what we can do to make esports better. Uh, one thing we do fail to mention a little bit is definitely the the really fundamental difference between esports and sports. You know, in, in sports, they already pay you out for a certain amount. Teams have a lot of money. They're based in cities, there's stadiums, they, they go out and play every week and so forth during the season. And uh, when they compete, they don't compete for money at that point. You know, it's, they already make so much money that it's not a big deal. They're, they're competing more for uh, the title of being the best, right? Um, but in esports, it's the other way around where um, a lot of times for a player, the prize pool actually plays a very big role into their... Uh, their salary, you know, like let's say if you're getting paid five hundred dollars, but you also all of a sudden won a tournament that has about forty, fifty thousand dollars in terms of prize pool by yourself, right? You you make a lot of the money that way, and that's how it was with a lot of StarCraft players, where um, getting top five barely pays the bill for your flights, your your meals, your hotel, and so forth. So it's actually I mean, it's get, it's definitely getting better for the bigger games, but for smaller, quote-unquote, unpopular games, esport titles, it's still the case where you're actually focused so much on winning the prize money that sometimes, you know, you 
kind of forget the point of the game potentially. Maybe I'm think overthinking a little bit too much, but for me, let's say personally as a competitor, if I have if I see a tournament that's about three thousand dollars total versus a tournament that's about thirty to fifty thousand, even to a hundred thousand dollars. I would try a lot less for the $3,000 tournament itself. So the mentality is different there. The, the amount of competition is a little different, even though they're both, you know, pretty big tournaments. It's all money, money based. So it's, um, again, I feel like that's a little bit off topic in terms of player psychology. But I personally feel like esports needs to get to that point where, you know, it's no longer about just getting a 10 million dollar prize pool it's more about winning the most prestigious title of the division that you're playing in which is how uh, the professional uh, basketball professional american football professional soccer works at this point and uh, i feel like there's a long way to go but you know we need to start off with the very little things like amateur leagues make sure that they're recognized let's say even high school amateur leagues. We did have those in the past, but again, they're not very well organized. They're not well exposed. There's not a lot of funding into the lower sectors of esport, which definitely has a very, very big impact when it comes to graduating players to become esport players. For me personally, um, I played in both amateur and professional leagues. Uh, amateur league for a shorter period of time just because I personally thought it was quite useless. In fact, you know, there's not a lot of money involved. There was not a lot of fun to play in those compared to competing against professionals directly. So again, like if if at a university, even at a university or high school level where there's a little more organizations of uh, younger athletes that will become professional gamers in the future, I feel like the the quality of esport itself will eventually, you know, get a lot better into to the point where it be on par with a lot of the minor sports at this point. Yeah, I completely agree to a lot of the points. Uh, one thing I want to add a bit more to is more money needs to go to the players. I mean, League of Legends taking a good, making a good start. They're giving the players salaries, but hopefully. In a few years' time, the players that are playing at the top professional level, level, they're getting an even higher salary. They're making a few hundred K a year if you're in a league system and you're a top team and a top player. The individual is making a few hundred K. And the price pool, obviously, it can be a few million. And it will always be a thing in competitive games because it's, it's been a thing since the start. But the players themselves need to make more money and they need to have a solid salary backing. And once the industry, the industry also needs to have more money going in. And once the industry makes more money, the players will in return there be able to make, then be able to make more money. So the industry gets bigger, the players get more money. It's kind of like a cyclical effect. Uh, player, the industry gets more money, players get more money. Once the players get more money, you'll be able to draw in more people into the esports scene, newer players, better talent more talent so and then the industry gets bigger again so it's it's a massive cyclical effect and hopefully it happens sooner than later yeah cool yeah that definitely summers up the this topic at least pretty well i think uh again uh, I, I agree with you it's just you need more money into the industry you need more 
recognition. Basically, we need a bit more everything <laughs> to make esports great. Um, but that's definitely a long way to go, and we're not here to say exactly which how long it's going to take. But I definitely hope that in five, at least 10, 15 years that this, this, will, uh, this will actually occur. So, um, yeah, with that said, um, that's definitely going to uh, conclude our podcast for today. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed our uh, discussion, especially on the university versus, you know, the professional side of esports. And uh, definitely give us any feedback. We'd love to hear it. You know, if you have any anything you want us to talk about, we'll, uh, we'll try to include that in our next podcast. In the meantime, definitely follow us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Medium. Uh, I'll we'll have the link uh, in the in the description below. And uh, SoundCloud. Yes, definitely SoundCloud as well. So again, with that said, uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in. We hope you guys have a great rest of your week or weekend, and we'll see you guys next time. See you guys and take care.